Well, our passage today is, is actually Isaiah 10. I'd like to go ahead and start again in Isaiah 9, where we finished last week. We didn't quite uh, finish that chapter, but uh, maybe to get a little bit of a running start uh, uh, to, for today's work in chapter 10. Uh, I, the classic passage in Isaiah 9 is verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. So this uh, child that will be born uh, occupies the throne of David. Um, it evidently is an eternal uh, governance over the throne of David. And his government increases and he produces peace. Um, well, Christ, I mean, this is talking about the Messiah here. Christ is producing peace today, although it may not seem so, with all the wars and rumors of wars that uh, Jesus predicted. So he's producing peace with God through himself. Uh, uh, and he's continuing to bring people into the faith, uh, you know, today. I mean, this week, people believe all the time and are born into the, into the kingdom. So this is all good. Uh, the throne of David, I would say yes, and it probably more so even returns to that whole Israel of God, as Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, so uh, Christ is indeed ruling over that Israel of God and... And uh, in a certain sense, this is all being fulfilled, I mean, today. But, of course, at the end of time, it'll be even more evident that he'll rule over his kingdom. You're breaking out in more places. I, I saw the showing of the Jesus Revolution that finished when it leave. They started praising God and worshiping God. Praise the Lord. Here. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Well, where was it in South Africa? South America? Really? Well, praise the Lord for all these things we needed for sure. Okay. Uh verse verses eight through twelve, the Lord and now uh, I believe we're going back to judgment. So, as I've said before, it's, we're in reading Isaiah, it's, it's judgment, you know, everybody dies, then return, and Messiah comes back, and we have a messianic age. Just go, it's, there's a lot like this. It goes back and forth, you know, in Isaiah. So, uh, verse 8, judgment then. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel, and all the people will know. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria who say in pride and in arrogance of heart the bricks have fallen but we will build with dressed stones the sycamores have been cut down but we will put cedars in their place in other words what they're saying is nobody can permanently defeat us I mean our city may be blown down but we will rebuild even a better city but uh, God is saying uh, no <laughs> Uh, verse 11 but the Lord raises up raises the adversaries of Rezin against him to stir up his enemies this was Rezin 
Connor helped me. Was he a king up in Israel, or was he one of the one of the Damascan uh, kings, or that? I believe I, he was a Damascan king, but it yeah. was it was back in an earlier chapter. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I'm just not a total Damascus. Huh? Damascus. Okay. He's talked about in chapter 7 yes. when they conspired with the northern kingdom against the southern. Yes. And Rezin was the king okay. of Samaria at that point. Okay, so that's this guy. Or Syria, sorry. Yeah. Syria. So he's coming down uh, against Israel and Judah, or against Judah probably. So anyway. But verse 11, but the Lord raises the adversaries of Raisin against him and stirs up his enemies, the Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west, devour Israel with open mouth. Wow. And for all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder... And the honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray. For those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched. The people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry, and they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim. That would be fighting against, uh, among the tribes of Israel against each other. And Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. So, I mean, Isaiah is just, I, without going into all this, I mean, he's just predicting judgment uh, against both Israel from Assyria. Assyria is the real threat at this time, but also eventually from the Chaldeans also against Judah. Do you, do you think when he's talking about judgment against them that he's talking about the Assyrians? No, absolutely. And I think in the next chapter we're going to see exactly yeah. that, that he's using them as his instruments, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You might yeah. be using Babylon to judge the church right now. Well, well, yeah, look at how worldly the church is. We're sold out. <laughs> okay. All right. Right. <laughs> so just, we need to just go forward with how, even though Amen. 
totally unworthy. Well, yeah. Isn't that a tactic of the enemy to make yeah. you feel unworthy? To make you feel unworthy, sure. Open your mouth and say the truth. He is worthy. He is worthy, yes. On a similar note, I've been struck lately that you know we are totally dependent on Christ, and this is a very uh, un-American thing, or perhaps un-Western thing, or an un-human uh, thing. But you know we should rejoice in that that we are so faulty and so so dependent on Christ. Should, should actually raise a joy in us, you know, rather than despondency. So someone, someone kind said, of very similar. Someone said we're not desperately dependent. There you go. Yeah. Desperately. Yeah. Jim. I shared along the same line this morning. I think I shared with Angie that here. I went out to my car a few minutes before church and just heavy. I said, Lord, I'd like to just lay my head on your chest right now. And let me feel your hand on my head. You just hold me and let me rest in you. And and I thought, well, it's time to go to church. And uh, I put in a hymn that I had. Yeah. Didn't know which was coming up. It was a group of hymns. Yeah. And it says, take up thy cross and follow me. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. our unworthiness, your holiness, following him. Yeah, this makes me think of it. I think it's in First John where it says, know them uh, if they keep his word. And uh, Adrian Rogers has taught that the Greek word there is tereo. It's a naval term for keeping, you know, by the stars. Mm. And his point was that there's no way we can be perfect. No That's way. why the naval term no is way. there. It's, it's all about in the context of your life, mm. do you keep coming back to the Bible mm. as you try and steer away, you know. And so To steer the ship. Yeah, exactly. What do you keep coming back to? Yeah, there you go. His word, yeah. you know, to try and... There you go. Well, very good. As the old preachers used to say, God hits some pretty good licks with crooked sticks. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> You've never heard that, Katie? No. Oh, I've Craig had never heard it. Oh. I've heard it a few times. I've heard it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> one day it'll right. God hits some pretty good licks with crooked sticks. God hits some pretty good licks with crooked sticks. Yeah. 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 Yep. He uses the crooked stick on us. <laughs> well, he uses us as crooked sticks. We're crooked sticks. <laughs> we are crooked. He has to get our attention. <laughs> okay, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey and as Connor was mentioning this is the main threat here is from Assyria now but this could apply to both Israel and Judah I mean they're in the same backslidden condition here as Isaiah is is prophesying Um, now Isaiah talks about manipulating the laws to oppress the poor even more Uh, my commentator says that oppressing the helpless has when one oppresses the helpless, we have reached the lowest level of cynicism and self-serving. You know, taking advantage of the poor. It's wrong, man. It's wrong. Big businessmen can take care of themselves, okay? But widows and orphans, we need to have compassion on them. Uh, verse 3. 
now that they've accumulated all this wealth by grinding the face of the poor, Isaiah says, what will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? What are you going to do with all your wealth uh, when the enemy comes in? Or on the day of our death, what are we going to do with our wealth then? Um, you know, can it save us? Stack it up in your coffin. <laughs> I'm going to take it as far as I can, right? <laughs> Where will you leave your wealth? So the Jews have been using their wealth to grind the faces of the poor. And uh, this is, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian or a Jew to understand that this is wrong. I mean, this would just be natural law. I mean, everyone would understand this. There is a parable in Luke 16. We're not going to read it. Maybe you're familiar with it where Jesus, it's a parable about wealth. But in Jesus' parable, he says that the shrewd servant is using his wealth to make friends with the world system so they can welcome him into the eternal dwellings. I think this is a different use of wealth there. In that case, this person is using wealth to... To do, I mean, to make friends. I mean, to do, and so I think the idea here is toward, I mean, I, I don't, it's a tough parable. I think it's probably toward evangelism where, it, where there could be a rich person, but he's using his situation to interact with people for good. Let's put it that way. So it's a tough parable. <laughs> Craig agrees. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree that it's tough. It's... <laughs> Eternal dwellings the actually yeah. is eternal ass tense. Eternal what? Ass tense. I'm not for under. I don't get the word there. Donkey. Yeah, donkey tense. Oh, well, good. Donkey. Eternal. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a positive to me. Well, no, it doesn't. Smell it. Well, it's still tough. Yeah, if you're out in the open, it might be all right. <laughs> What's the scripture on that? Luke 16, 1 through 13. It's a tough parable. Well, we won't uh, maybe deal with that today, but we'll do it another time. Verse 4. Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Now, Connor, here we go. Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their (laughs) hands is my fury. Against a godless nation, I send him. And against the people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil and seize plunder, to tread them down like mire in the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. So, as far as the king of Assyria knows, and his advisors, I would suspect, I mean... These people are not trying to do the will of God. I mean, that's, no. I mean, they're just secular powers doing bad things. You know, they're not trying to do the will of God. But God is simply using Assyria as his instrument to accomplish his purpose, particularly in Israel. Uh, is Israel is eventually overrun and they're taken. Do they call that the Assyrian captivity or do we just say that they were just taken away and dispersed? I mean... It was Assyria at this point, and then Assyria morphed into Babylon. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Assyria, the, the northern uh, 
captivity, we call it that. They never really returned, though. No. So they, they, so they became they, Samaria. Yeah. Right. I mean, there were, right. There was not a, like in Babylon, you, you have these like hundreds or maybe yeah. thousands of people that go back as a group and return, return, return. Maybe a few drifted back, but it wasn't that kind of a return. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, okay, verse 8. For he says, that is Assyria, are not my commanders all kings? Is not Calno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arphad? Is, and it's not Samaria like Damascus? Uh, so uh, this list of cities... These are conquered cities by Assyria, and they're in a geographical order, starting from the furthest away from Jerusalem, which is Carchemish. There was a famous battle, maybe two fought there in Carchemish. But uh, anyway, it's it's a long way away. It's 350 miles away from Jerusalem. But then they get closer and closer and closer, and the king of Assyria has taken over all these kingdoms. I mean, this is a a big world power here. All right, Habakkuk, uh, verses five through seven. Habakkuk had the same problem of of these this nation coming down and going to plaster uh, Israel, and so let me just read Habakkuk chapter one, verses twelve through seventeen. If somebody finds it before me, I'll uh, you can read it because I always have trouble finding Habakkuk. Yeah. But I did find it. It's right here. here we go. Uh, yeah, Habakkuk 1, 12 through 7. Go ahead, Craig. Uh, 12 through uh, 17. Are you, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? You shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them with their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because of them, they share, uh, their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? Yeah. Habakkuk is complaining to the Lord, too, uh, about the, these nations that are wasting or coming down to waste uh, Israel and Judah. And uh, But, uh, Lord, are you going to do anything? And, yeah. well, That's the question of the prosperity of the wicked. Yes. Exactly. So Habakkuk is having the same, as it were, complaint that Isaiah is more or less stating facts, I think, than complaining. It seems Habakkuk is complaining a little bit about it. But uh, okay, let's go back to Isaiah chapter ten, verse ten. Yeah. Uh, it. Uh, <clears throat> it's possible uh, perhaps the king of Assyria is continuing to speak here it's not 
totally clear whether it's the king of Assyria or God that's speaking. I think maybe uh, Connor helped me here. King I thought of, the same thing when I read this. I thought this could be God talking or the... And in, in fact, that ambiguity may be there on purpose. It may be God turning his words upside down and saying, you know, you think you're the stuff. Sure you're not do. Okay, let's put it in the mouth of the king of Assyria first. If that's the case, the king of Assyria is saying, as my hand is reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? So this would be boasting on the part of a king of Assyria. I mean, this guy is a total pagan, right? I mean, so he's what he's saying is, look, some of these nations that I've conquered, they had beautiful idols, man. These idols were like 10 feet tall, you know? And, and, and worship of their 10-foot-tall ten, ten gods. Jerusalem doesn't have any idols. They got idols, but not that big. So I've, I've wiped out all these nations and all these wonderful idol temples. You think I'm not going to walk into Jerusalem? You don't have any good idols, man. What are you, what are you talking about? Who's saying this? I think it's the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria. Oh. Yeah. So it's, it, it was kind of it's kind of humorous to me if you look at it that way. Tremendous sarcasm, really. Well, or, or if it's the Lord, it's tremendous sarcasm. Well, it's sarcasm. <laughs> we, we yeah. don't understand. We, that's what said. Christians don't understand uh, satire at all. They yeah. generally hate it. Yeah. Yet God is so Jesus Himself is so satirical. Yeah. You got to pass the eye of a needle. That's just total satire. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, we, we, just, we just need to have a better understanding of what satire is. <laughs> how okay. Our so. Very good. All right, let's go to verse 12. When the Lord had finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Syria and for the boastful look in his eyes. So, once again, the Lord is using the king of Assyria as his tool. And after the king of Assyria does his work, then the king of Assyria will be punished. And this is in the Old Testament a lot in various places. I mean, God uses these pagan powers as instruments of his will, and then when they've done his will, then he punishes them for killing my people Israel. Right. <clears throat> 13. For he says, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I have understanding. I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand is found like a nest, the wealth of the peoples. And as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. So... Shall, shall the axe boast over him who hews it? Or the saw magnified itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it? Or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood? This is talking about God now. In other words, should Assyria be boasting due to the fact that I'm the one that's doing this in Assyria and for Assyria? No, God, God is the one that's wielding Assyria. This is the sense, I think, of it here. 16. Therefore the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors and, uh, and under his glory a burning, will be, a, a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. 
The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land the Lord will destroy, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. So um, Isaiah will use this motif, I think, later on about these trees being cut down. So as this kingdom is wasted like the Assyrian kingdom, which it will be, it's like a forest being chopped down with only a few trees left. And we'll read that uh, again, I think. Uh, So the Assyrian Empire was ended in 609 B.C., after many years of wars, I, I read about all this. And I mean, there's these kings that attack, and they take some cities away, and then the other kings take some other cities away, and then Assyria recoups, and they fight against these kings. And so it goes on for a long time. But finally, Assyria is pretty much ended as an empire in 609 B.C. after many years of wars and rebellions, and it went on and on. You, if you want to be an ancient historian, I mean, you could go on and on with that. I mean, there's a lot going on there in terms of rebellions and so forth. So, well, that, that is when Babylon rolled through the territory. Yes. And that's when, about when Jerusalem fell as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question about this because, you know, I mean, he's making prophecies in regards to Syria or other countries. Did they have the opportunity to... To hear these prophecies as well. Or, well, you know, they. I mean, because you would think, okay, if this is a prophecy, I know that I'm going to destroy them. Well, that, that's good. But it's also maybe a warning that I should treat them with kindness when I do it. Right? I shouldn't be so you know hard on them, and therefore God may not be so hard on me. But at the same time, they don't listen. You know, so. Possibly. Well, they did hear Jonah. You know. Jonah had a yeah, great, and they Pharaoh, did repent. Pharaoh didn't pay attention. Pharaoh didn't pay attention. That's true. Yeah, this, this this was in the era of the local god, and God <clears throat> was considered by the other nations as just their local god. So when they go to war and they they overwhelm Israel, then their god is stronger than Israel's god. So they they wouldn't care. <laughs> well, with the. It talks about Gog and Magog. Yes. That's uh, that's the Hittites, right? And you get sort of into like Genghis Khan history. Where where is it? Where is it talking about Gog and Magog well, it later talks on? About it later in Isaiah, and then it'll yeah. talk about it in Revelation. Okay. Um, um, when they started to take over the world at that point and establish their kingdom, this is to David's point. They were familiar with what had been written about them in the Old Testament. And so when they encounter uh, Christendom and, you know, like early Christianity, they said stuff like, um, like, you know, God is destined that you're, that you're going to bend the knee to us. Like, it's written, it, like, this is written about in your, in your stories. So why don't you just go ahead and get on with it and start giving us tribute. <laughs> so they, wow. were, they, were, they were familiar with these stories. Wow. And they saw themselves as the, the judgment hand of God. Like, wow. That's how they viewed themselves. Very good. Well, and that, that was good. part of the point, I think, of the Babylonian captivity of the southern kingdom. Yeah. All the all that uh, writings went east. Yeah. This yeah. is why the Magi knew to look for well, the star. There you go. And and a lot of extra biblical writings came up in wow. Babylon. So basically, through the through 
through the uh, exiles, uh, the word of God was being spread, yeah. really, through the ancient world. Well, very good. Yeah, that's just how you receive it, I guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's written about you. You have an opportunity to really pay attention well, I, to it and try to say well, well I was I was reading in, I, <laughs> I was reading in Jeremiah you know and you know this story but Jeremiah goes and reads the riot act to uh, King Zedekiah or has his secretary do it and King Zedekiah just takes his pen knife and cuts the document up and throws it in the fire I mean he wasn't listening <laughs> that's the problem with most of us yeah. we have a hard time listening to God <laughs> verse 20 in that day, and here we go. So you have all this destruction. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, that is Assyria, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So basically all this horrible story is going on for the correction of Israel. I mean, God is trying to correct Israel to get them back to walking with him. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. Verse 21 uh, is, is subtle, I think. Uh, if you remember, one of Isaiah's sons was named Sher Jashub, which means the remnant shall return. And one of the names of this child is mighty God in Isaiah 9. So we have both of those here in this one verse. A remnant shall return to mighty God. So he's basically repeating what he said back in chapter 9, that the remnant shall return to who? To mighty God. Now, did did Judah, you know, return to mighty God after the Babylonian captivity? Well, some did, you know. A lot didn't, and you got you still got the same debate and all this. I mean, in, in Judah, uh, until the Messiah shows up, and then some believe and some don't. It's uh, just like it is today. I mean, as we preach the gospel, some believe and some don't. Yes. So it's not like everybody just comes in and believes. I mean, no. Nick, you got anything? You look like you're pensive there. I'm, I'm still thinking through you. <laughs> okay. God chose some prophetically to accomplish his will. Like Assyria. And he chose some to salvation. Like Judah and et cetera, et cetera. The remnant shall return. There you go. I don't know what the ancient church did with this. Uh, and if somebody knows, I would be glad to hear. But uh, a couple times here he uses the Praise Holy One, and this is how the demons address Jesus. Wow, Holy One of God, they Holy do, don't they? Yeah. So I, I would take this as a specific uh, uh, reference to God the Son. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what do you mean? Which one? Which verse? Uh, oh, the Holy One of Israel. and it's in uh, verse. Uh, where's the other one? Twenty. Uh, Twenty-one. Twenty. Uh, yeah, they will return the, to the mighty God. Uh, uh, verse uh, twenty, the holy, the holy one of Israel. The holy one of Israel. This, this may be looking forward. To oh, the I, oh, I think, I think for certainly it must be included in that. Yes, I think so. Uh, let, let's stay with that point there. Let me finish uh, verse twenty-two. 
For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. Okay. Well, this is true in two senses, as Craig is saying. One is a remnant of the Jews in Babylon returned. I met a guy, and this is when I was a young man, doing evangelism in uh, Louisiana Tech. He was, this young man was, with these, all these guys were from Iran. And they were you know, Irani guys or whatever. And one guy was rooming with these guys from Iran. I mean, they were all speaking Farsi and all this stuff. And one of the guys was a Jew. Hmm. And his family had been in Persia hmm. probably for thousands of years. Okay. Well, how'd they get there? Well, the Babylonian captivity. And, you know, not everybody returned. <laughs> from the Babylon. I mean, some of these guys, no doubt, had good businesses and were making money. I mean, why leave? <laughs> so, it was amazing, though. I mean, you know, amazing. And I mean, it was a beautiful place anyway. Oh, yeah. One of the wonders of the world. Yeah. Mordecai and Esther were in Persia. Also. Way further east than, uh, than Babylon. Yeah. What happened to Daniel? Did he just pass away before the... I, uh, you might in one of those Chronicles books or someplace it lists all these names of some people return. I think Daniel's name is listed in one of those lists. At some point, he realizes the seventy years is up. Yes, and he repents. Yeah, he begins to repent. <laughs> but he, 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 yeah, well, he well, repents for the nation. Yeah, he repents for Israel. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to read those lists and see if Daniel might have been one. I, I wish he I didn't speak up much once they get there. No, I wish I knew the answer, but I don't. All right. Well, okay. A remnant shall return. A remnant of the Jews will be saved. A remnant of the Gentiles will be saved. Uh, As in Romans chapter 9, verses 27 through 33. And Paul uses exactly this. Romans 9, 27. Uh, all of it's really good but in 27 it says and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea only a remnant of them will be saved so he's quoting Isaiah here Mm -hmm. for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay and as Isaiah predicted if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring we would have been like Sodom we would have become like Gomorrah so there is a remnant among the Jews for sure that are going to believe in Christ. And there, there always has been. And even in our day, it seems to me that there may be a little bit of a movement going on among the Jews in terms of coming to faith in Christ. Jews for Jesus. Them and others, yes. Uh, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is based on faith. It's just sort of like, fell on the Gentiles. They were not looking for it, but they got it. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. So the Jews, as well as many Gentiles, are pursuing some kind of work salvation, and that's where they miss it. Uh, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, uh, who is Christ. Uh, 
As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So it's based on belief in that stone of stumbling. Some people believe, some people don't. Just like it was in Paul's day, just like it is in our day, that's it. So some believe, some don't. So we continue to do evangelism, hoping that some will believe. Everybody you share the gospel with may not become saved. This is true. He mentions that remnant to Elijah too. Yeah, yeah. Lord, I'm the only Christian left in Israel. Uh, no. Yeah. Well, when he gave a number, what was the number? Oh, 7,000, man. <laughs> oh, Elijah. Elijah. Yeah. We just counted the sands of the sea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me, let's go on then. We're back in uh, Isaiah 10. Verse, we finished verse, verse 22. And, uh, okay, let's go on to verse... Okay, 24. Yeah. Let's go to verse 24 then. Now, Isaiah is predicting the fall of Assyria. So this, just, this prophecy just goes on and on. I mean, Assyria is going to, you know, basically defeat you, but then Assyria is going to fall. Mm-hmm. Verse 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. And his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. Well, praise God. So... God uses his enemies for the for chastening, but then he deals with his enemies also. Verse 28. He has come to Aath. This is Assyria. He has passed through Migron at Michmash. He stores his baggage. They have crossed over the pass. At Geba, they lodge for the night. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Galim. Give attention, O Laisha, O poor Anathoth. Madmina is in flight. The inhabitants of Gibeon flee for safety. This very day he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Uh, this passage may depict an army's progress from north to south as, the, as they begin to go through these towns and so forth until they get about 15 miles from Jerusalem to this last one that sort of overlooks Jerusalem. And then verse 33, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Now, uh <clears throat> Uh, this is the motif of the trees again, that God is going to cut down these trees. So Assyria makes great progress here. And remember, this prophecy now is particularly against the Assyrian threat. And Isaiah is encouraging Ahaz, the king of Judah, 
Ahaz was also afraid of the Assyrian threat. I mean, they're coming down. And indeed, they do go through the northern kingdom and subjugate that. And they get close to Jerusalem. And it looks like they're going to take Jerusalem, but they don't. So perhaps they come within about 15 miles of Jerusalem. Uh, But then, and we'll have to read in other prophets. I don't remember the whole story about how Assyria... Maybe they heard, Maybe there was fighting back in their home base and they retreated. I don't remember exactly how it went. But behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. So he's going to begin to cut down the mighty trees of Assyria. The great in height will be hewn down. The lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by a majestic one. So God's going to take care of these kingdoms. And the kingdom of Judah is not going to fall to the Assyrians which is what they were afraid of. It will fall to Babylon, not to the Assyrians. This also sets up a prophetic motif, which we'll get into in the next chapter. So you have all these trees that are being cut down, including the tree, as it were, of Israel. They're going to be cut down, and there's nothing left but a stump. And this sets off the prophetic motif in 11.1. There shall come forth a shoot, out of the stump of Jesse. So if we think of the house of Jesse as being a stump, uh, there's, a, there's one shoot that we're looking for that comes out of the house of Jesse. So this is prophetic motif now about the Messiah. So he uses those stumps. There's life in the stump. Yeah, the life is in the stump. <laughs> That's right. I think I, I told you about that picture I took one time and in, in I think it was Venezuela. I, I can't find it. But I saw this stump, you know, and the ground had been cut down and a green shoot was coming right up out of the middle of the stump. The holy seed is in the stump, man. My, my neighbor, Black Walnut, had gone over a few years ago and she gave it to me. Of course, I cut it all up. And then within a year, there's a shoot coming out of that stump. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Well, that's, that's where we are for today. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll, we'll start with the chapter 11, Lord willing, next week. So. Yeah, I wonder if Chad-